podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Before we get into the show, I want to talk to you guys real quick about our very loyal sponsors, MyBookie.ag. Use promo code CHAIR for your 100% deposit match up to $1,000. If you've been watching the new XFL updating live gambling odds as it's going on, you can get in on the action over at MyBookie.ag. Also, you still have a couple months of college basketball to gamble on, including the NCAA tournament. Build up your bankroll so you can bet on all the great college basketball. You also got the NBA, and before you know it, it's baseball season. If you're smart enough to track how pitchers do for different matchups, there's money to be made over at mybookie.ag. Remember, use promo code CHAIR for your 100% deposit match up to $1,000. The moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. And the boys are back, but, you know, seemingly we can never get uh, Grant on the show. We were just lucky enough to have him for a Q&A episode. He's out saving the world, uh, you know, one one uh, emergency at the time. But luckily for me, I have, you know, one of my best friends in the entire world is the <laughs> smartest guy in K-State uh, media circles, in K-State Twitter circles, message board circles, you name it. Uh, if you're not friends with this guy, you're missing out. If you're not interacting with this guy on Twitter, you're definitely missing out. He's the man, the myth, the legend, Jimmy, a.k.a. KSU underscore fan. Uh, fan, how are you doing on this, uh, I would say, reasonably, uh, seasonably warm uh, Sunday afternoon in February? Yeah, it is a nice day. I'm doing well. Um, I mean, last night in the disappointing season, notwithstanding, but overall things are going well and I'm still trying to find things to look for in this season that can provide some hope for the future and some positives, even though at some at times that's really hard to do with this team. It has been rough, and this isn't in the outline, but I'm gonna you know kind of spring it on you like I sometimes do. Um, it's been pretty obvious uh, even since even at the most re- reasonably optimistic I've been. It's been pretty obvious almost since the start of Big Twelve play that. Uh, postseason play, at least in the two big tournaments, just wasn't going to happen. And once I accepted that, I haven't melted down as hard. Um, And I've just been watching, similar to you, trying to find bits and pieces I can hold on to going into next season. Um, How tough has that been? And what has been one or two things that you've really stuck to and said to yourself, you know what, this season is basically a disaster but I can point to this and say maybe next year won't be. The the problem is when something good happens, it seems to be a little different every game or every, you know, two or three games they'll have a good run of shooting or taking care of the basketball or rebounding, but then something else pops up, which, you know, I think is just the nature of a team that is flawed and, and frankly not very good or not very complete. And so 
it's hard to pinpoint one thing. Um, you know, you, you, you have games. Um, the, I mean, to me, as I look through the history of, of Bruce history of K-State basketball, the big thing that really stands out for this team is they just keep turning the ball over way too much. And, and when Bruce teams have 20% more or higher turnover rate, they just aren't very good. And you can go back and I've got it pulled up here. You can go back and look at all the bad seasons of Bruce. Um, that's, that's been the case, not only at K-State, but at Illinois as well. So seeing that turnover rate continue to be high every game and, and not being able to fix that is really, is really frustrating. Um, but I do like the freshmen. I like the effort they give. Uh, Sloan is a little bit up and down, but has potential. And uh, I think Levi can, can provide some bench minutes as, as a maximum, but there's still some pieces in place for the future. And then just looking at the class and watching how they perform the next year's recruits. Um, there's some guys there that I think can be impact players at the big 12. Now, whether they can be next year as freshmen um, is, is yet to be seen, but there are some definitely some good pieces that give me hope in the future of this program. Yeah. And you touched on what I think might be the answer to this first question I have on here, but why is it that this team, at least in Big 12 play, seemingly the only consistent part of it, the team is starting so slowly? Uh, does it really just come down to, A, the shooting never being consistent and that horrible turnover rate? I mean, that's a big part. I do, I do think um, part of this slow start thing right now is recency bias because the last two games were clearly awful. But even, you know, you sent me the outline, and I just quickly looked – at West Virginia, we started the game pretty well. Versus Oklahoma, we were up 14 to four. Even at Alabama, we started well. Even at KU, we were up at the four minute mark after the first four minute timeout. And and then the West Virginia game before that, we started the game well. Now you go back before that, Texas Tech obviously was another off start to a game, but we really had five games in a row where the first four to eight to even 12 minutes. We played pretty well, but then the, the last two were just so brutal. When you get down, you know, 21 to two and 22 to six, respectively, in those two games, that makes it awfully tough. And, and this team doesn't have the firepower to make up a deficit like that against even a bad team like Iowa State. Yeah, and I guess I should have done my homework a little bit better, but uh, something that does seem to jive with what you pointed out is to end I, either the first half or sometimes the game, it also seems that we seem to always hit a long stretch. And maybe I should have just phrased it as, why is it that this team almost always has at least, you know, a six to eight minute stretch where they hit like one field yeah. goal during that time period? And does that come down to, hey, it's a bad shooting team and we just turn the ball over so much? Or has yeah. there been something you've observed that's just been like, oh, no, it's also this? I would say it's a combination of being a bad shooting team and turnovers in those stretches because we've seen those games where two turnovers leads to four quick points and then the K-State misses a shot and then, you know, they give up another couple and and opportunities where they could be – building a lead or taking a lead, um, they end up even or even slightly down in the score. And again, when you don't have firepower, those stretches where you don't build leads are really just as important as, as 
um, coming back. And, and I think that's what we, we like the fight in this team where they are showing they're not quitting and coming back in games. But I want to see the fight in this team to build a 15-point lead in the first half or early in the second half. And that's what we haven't seen. That's what last year's and the year before that, that's what Barry Cam and Dean did is they built leads so that in the last four minutes, the game wasn't close. And it didn't even come down to a two-possession game. That's that's the sign of a good team. To me, winning close games is, is nice. And this team is two and six, maybe two and seven, if you conclude yesterday in what I would consider close games. But really the mark of a good team is they don't have a bunch of close games. They win games by seven, eight, nine, ten points on the regular, and then once in a while by 15 to 20. That's what this team doesn't do. And that's a little bit of what scares me. You've been a coach for a very long time in the high school ranks. You've been watching K-State, uh, you know, very intently over the course of six or seven different head coaches. What sort of risk is there that this habit of going on these long stretches or not taking care of the ball or just overall not knowing how to win. How much of a risk is, is there that that's going to carry over into next year uh, and basically almost poison the team for another two years? Well, I mean, as the optimist, I'm saying this season is like 2016 when that team was, I mean, 15 is, I, I equate as different. And I don't think this, season is like 15 where the mutiny happened and foster and losing all those guys. I think it's much more like 16 in that you had um, a group of guys, the freshmen combined with Wessa Wundu and DJ Johnson and a couple older guys that were kind of, and Justin Edwards even, I mean, you had three key older guys that were a little better than the older guys we have now. And then on the other hand, those three freshmen were probably a little bit better than the freshman we have now. And so this to me feels a lot more like that season. Uh, that season ended up at 17-16. So that was a little bit better team and a little bit better record. Um, but they were 5-13 and in the Big 12. Um, that team, number one, had an easier non-conference schedule. And number two, won a few more of those close games in the non-conference in this team. So that's really the difference. Otherwise, I think they're very, very similar. So is the hope that maybe next year uh, Dejuan Gordon has one of these moments where he says, no, I'm not going to let this team lose. And that, uh, you know, mentality in that effort and that outcome becomes contagious. Or is it more complicated than just saying, hey, eventually they'll turn a switch and learn how to win? Well, I think it's that. But combining uh, the a freshman class that is even better than than this year's freshman class, on paper at least. And so you combine those, the synergy of getting a group of six or seven legit top 150 players together and guys that Bruce really wanted and guys that are probably moldable at that point, to me gives me hope. I mean, next year may not be a lot better record-wise. I think it will be just because I think we'll play an easier schedule. I think they'll build a schedule that can at least get an NIT with six Big 12 wins. And that will be the difference. But I think you just got to, you know, put together the right mix of guys and have some guys that are true alphas. And and I think Juan Gordon is that kind of kid. And I don't think he's going to 
but he's a respectable kid. He's not going to try to one-up X and Cardi. So that's where I see the difference. And in, in the, the key with Barry and Cam and, and Dean is they had West so one as kind of a guy that they could follow and go along with for two years, and even DJ Johnson. This team doesn't quite have that. Um, I think X is a great leader, but not the player that Wes or even DJ was, and, and Mac isn't the player that DJ was. So that's the big difference. It's going to be a little bit different mix, of course, how this comes together, but I think it's possible that it can come together and go well. And, I, and that's where my optimism lies for this program right now. Yep. Uh, I thought it was interesting when I saw that Cardi was returning back to the starting lineup. Bruce had some interesting comments post-game, but I'm, I'm just going to leave that uh, where it is. But he did have one of his best scoring nights, at least in Big 12 play, getting 24 on 7 of 15 shooting from the field. Uh, he had that better scoring night, but he did have some turnovers when momentum was starting to build uh, in that comeback effort. Uh, so I guess my big question to you is, do you think it was the right call putting Cardi back in the starting lineup? And then for rest of this season, uh, should he remain in that starting lineup or should they go back to that starting lineup that fe- featured David Sloan and Dejuan Gordon instead? Well, I, I, to me, I think it's there's a little bit of, of Bruce is showing some consistency in that even with the controversy with what happened with Cardi in the previous game um, against Baylor, he did play better than David Sloan. David Sloan had one of his worst games of the year in that game against Baylor and played much better yesterday. But I think it's really, I mean, I think when you look at turnovers, I think the point guard position is a key part of that for this team. And whether Cardi should be the point or not is, is, a, is a point we can discuss. But really the only one, other one on the roster that can do it is David Sloan. And he's up and down, and he's got games where he's just not very good. And so I think Bruce was like, well, if David's going to respond to that like that against Baylor, a tough team, maybe I need to go back to Cardi. And then I think, you know, I think Bruce is a very patient guy and tries to show belief in his guys. And I think that was another, it was a, a bit of an attempt to, to build Cardi's confidence back up as well. So I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, honestly. I mean, I, Cardi played well. He had one of his better games, his best efficiency game uh, against a decent team besides Tulsa. So, I mean, he, he put up some good numbers. He made some shots and, you know, he did have some silly turnovers, but, you know, so did some other senior leaders and, and, you know, Mac had a big one there late and, and then X just can't make a shot sometimes. And when X is missing seven or eight threes, it's going to be real tough for this team to win with just only one of those three playing well. And they really only had one of their top three play well. And that's been the story of the season, really. Yes, it has. And I think that ultimately is where the biggest frustration for me comes from. I said last week, and some folks, uh, you know, pushed back on my comment. There were a couple of folks who uh, reached out to me and said that they agree with me. I think that there has been a lot of focus on, uh, at different points in the season, the guys on the outside, the secondary tertiary players. But I do ultimately think it comes down to our quote-unquote big three just yep. has never figured it out. I, I personally do think that if you don't change anything 
for the guys, you know, four through 12 on this roster, uh, it is good enough to go to the tournament. It's just the fact that the big three, there has never been a period of time, let alone maybe even one game where all three of them even came close to their potential. And I think that's the thing that I'm always going to look back on the season is, uh, the frustration of those three never being able to figure it out at the same time. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% on that. I've, I mean, that's what I've said all along when we were losing games early against um, teams like Pittsburgh, Mississippi State, St. Louis. It was maybe one of those three playing well, and I've, I've always contended you're only as good as your best players, especially your best two or three. Um, I always contend that if you want to be a team that goes to the NCAA tournament, you need to have at least two guys on the first and second team, all Big 12. Maybe one first-teamer and an honorable mention. Right now, the closest we have is X is maybe an honorable mention guy. And no one and Mac and Cardi aren't close to being a first or second team, all Big 12 player. And when you, your best player is honorable mention, all Big 12, meaning you don't even have – you barely have one of the top 15 players in the league, you're just not very good. You're not going to be very good. And that's the story of this team and this season is those three – you know, you can argue whether Cardi should be a point guard and whether X should be playing the four. I don't think it really matters. Those guys are who they are, and they're just—I I think they're great kids. I respect them. I always look fondly at the contributions they had to the the last two seasons, but they simply weren't able to adjust being a bigger role player, and and that's the story of this season and winning only nine games so far. Yep, another uh, kind of story that has been more for the folks who are truly uh, following recruiting and plugged into the day-to-day operations of this basketball team is how Bruce has never really stopped being very aggressive on the recruiting trail for 2020. Um, Four-star out of Nebraska, Donovan Williams, is a guy who there were a lot of pictures and some highly publicized tweets about Bruce being out there recruiting. And that did lead to some chatter on Twitter mainly because I think most of the message board crowd uh, understood he was doing this. But some folks on Twitter were starting to point out uh, how aggressive Bruce is going after someone when there isn't even a slot currently open for him. Um, All in all, what is your opinion on Bruce being so open and aggressive going after a guy basically signaling to his team that, hey, there are some of you who are here now that won't be welcome next year. Um, do you think that is a necessary evil, or do you think that Bruce could be more coy going about this, or where do you stand when it comes to all that? Well, I, I think being that outward, I think he simply knows that those guys have probably already told him they're gone. I don't think it's putting pressure on guys, but I think he knows that there are a couple more guys that will be leaving for whatever reason. And they've probably made those plans clear to him. Uh, maybe even even the way he's recruited, I think they've had a good idea since before this season even started that that a lot of these some of these guys that have not used up their eligibility were not going to be here another year. And I think that's why he's he's recruiting the way he is. And and I'm glad. I mean, I think Williams would be a great. I mean, to me, with recruiting, the more top 150 kids you get the higher likely one or two or three are going to work out and become all big 12 players. I mean, that's, it just keeps, I just keep always going back to that. If you got to find guys that can be in the top 10 in the league individually. And when you have a couple of those guys on your team, you're going to be good. And the more 
the top 150 guys you get and not two and three star projects you get, the more likely you're going to get that. So I, I think it's a great move by Bruce. I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he was out there, got his name out there. The kid retweeted it. And, and you know, it's, it's just a good sign that he's still trying to build this program, even when things go south on him. Do you think this has anything to do with how he seemingly lost out on a couple uh, grad transfers following the Elite Eight run because they didn't clear out a spot earlier and he wasn't aggressive until that that final spot did open up? Or do you think that uh, each instance is independent of each other? I mean, I can, I can see that connection. I, do, I think they're a little bit different because those grad transfers came later and on a team that had a better dynamic at the time. And so that, I mean, that makes it a little more touchy to, to, to go out and recruit visibly when, when you, when you have a good team and you have guys that are seemingly happy um, than in the situation they're in now, where obviously some of the guys are, are, you know, probably practically done with their careers anyway. It's, it's at least what they want to get out of college basketball. Well, definitely. Um, we will move away from basketball just a little bit. There's some uh, big football news. Um, and honestly, probably one of the biggest stories to come out this offseason, uh, Ring of Honor member, former All-American punter, former uh, administrator extraordinaire. He was also the special teams coach and associate head coach. And former analyst last year, of course, I'm talking about Sean Snyder. Um, after what was, I think when it was all said and done, almost a full month of speculation of him, uh, you know, picking up and leaving K-State and trying to either become an analyst at a different school or becoming an on-field coach again, he officially accepted the uh, special teams coordinator job at USC. Um, first off, what was your reaction first when you heard he may be looking to get back into coaching, and then uh, specifically when he accepted the special teams coach at USC. I wasn't completely surprised. I, I think this time around his role changed considerably with the new regime. I mean, obviously he was just an analyst and not one of the official coaches on the staff. Um, uh, I think he had like a much bigger role in the Prince era not necessarily as a coach, but on the staff. And so I think he just finally reached a point where do I want to really be a college coach or ad ad be an administrator? And I think his role at K-State was only going to be administrative. And I think he finally made the decision that I'm going to go be, I want to go test my own skills as a coach. And I think I think he waited to get a full position coach. I, I think there was banner with Texas and um, Nebraska, and it seems like both those were probably going to be analysts as well. And I think he, you know, he, he was patient and he finally found a coach that needed a special teams guy and USC went after him and I, I, I wish him well. I'm happy for him and I hope he does well there. Yeah. What did you make from, and again, everything on the internet is you know, 3,000 times more polarized than they are in real life. But what did you take from the reaction of, you know, uh, basically re-legislating uh, Sean's role in, uh, you know, the later years of Snyder 2.0 all happening once again? And what was your take on how everyone reacted to that 
you know, re-legislating this for the 18th time in the last seven years. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely because of his connection to, to Coach Bill Snyder, there was always, I think Sean eventually became viewed through the lens of how fans viewed his father. And, of course, many of our fans kind of turned on, you know, turn, not turned on is probably too strong, but began to view the Bill Snyder tenure negatively the longer it stretched out and the more indecisive it seemed uh, what was going on with the program. So I think Sean got caught up in that. I do think, you know, first time around, not a 1.0, he was strictly administration and kickers and punters and specialists. I think he started out 2.0 that way. And then I think he gradually grew into a more schematic coach on the special team side, but they still divvy those out to position coaches. But I think his role grew and grew, and I think he's more equipped now to go be a special teams coordinator at another P5 school than he was probably even five years ago. So I do think he grew a lot as a coach and, and learned a lot uh, on the X's and O's and the special team side of things and maybe even – a defensive position or something like that. So uh, that's, I mean, that's, I think, how I'd put it. But I think he got viewed and paired with Bill so much that people really never could look at him, at him independently, and at least in a fair manner, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think uh, there are some folks who definitely shot too many arrows at Sean, and I think there are uh, some folks who maybe held him, at least in my opinion, in a higher regard. Yeah. Uh, just to overcompensate for the proxy fight that was yes. the dissatisfa- dissatisfaction uh, with Bill towards the end. And I think, again, I don't think Bill did him any favors so openly campaigning no. for him to no. be the next head coach. I think, honestly, I think if Bill just keeps his mouth shut, because quite frankly, I, I never really saw, unless he was going to try to quit right before season started, uh, I never saw a way where, uh, Sean was going to get that job in uh, a manner that would have been acceptable um, yeah, by agree. fans. I agree with that so, 100%. Yeah. So I, I think Bill should have read the room way better than he did because he wouldn't have done that and put a bigger spotlight on Sean. I think Sean might have almost been seen as a white knight almost because there were some stories of Sean really trying to push to let some of the coaches recruit more and uh, you know, try to moder- modernize. Granted, for every story like that, there are some, uh, even by former players, that will contradict uh, any sort of, uh, you know, good good vibes with Sean. So it, it happens, but I think if Bill would have just kept that to himself, it would have saved his son a lot of uh, drama. Mm-hmm. I agree with so. that. We'll move on just real quick. The late signing period has come and gone. Uh, the only real surprise on uh, late signing day was Tyrone Tallini is what I'm going to say. It might be pronounced a little bit different. He has four years to play three. Uh, he's a Juco product. Uh, he's going to play defensive end, but this is where I want to get your opinion on. This is a guy who has only played a, a full year of football Um and we're taking a risk on him probably because, I mean, the measurables on this guy are next level. I'm sure the tape that the coaches have seen lets them believe that they can develop him into a uh, defensive end at this level. But where do you land on using the final scholarship spots for a project like this? Would you prefer to go after, uh, you know, a small town type kid who, 
uh, maybe can grow into it? Or are you good going after one of these athletes who has almost no background in the game of football? I, I Honestly, I kind of liked it just because – especially because he has three years of eligibility left. Um, I think you get, you know, you can redshirt him, you know, with the new rule, you can stick him in a game or two next year and see how he does and, and develop him. Um, but also, I mean, I think there's a sense where you get another type of recruiting connection that maybe we want to build on. I mean, it, you know, we talk a lot in basketball about recruiting St. Louis and keeping connection with St. Louis guys. I think getting a connection in the Samoan community with uh, Samoan players, um, especially with Tuias Soap on staff, I mean, that's a, a nice way to, to get some really nice players and, and have a, a, a recruiting pipeline that a lot of programs don't have. And, and I think it's worth a shot in this instance. And, and I think that has to be, I mean, maybe I'm inferring too much, but that has to be part of, the rationale for going this route. So, I mean, I would, and I do think prospect wise, if, if he's willing to work and learn, he could become also a really good player. So, I mean, I would put it on both those. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I would love to see that kind of pipeline develop. I, it's a totally different type of pipeline, but it does kind of strike me as that time period where K-State was taking flyers on guys who were you know state champion wrestlers and maybe mediocre at best football players but they saw the drive they saw something they developed some of will be one of them and again that was that started as a walk-on position not a scholarship position but him I, I believe Travis Britz was in that same uh type of mold I think even uh Blake Seiler was gonna go to Oklahoma State as a wrestler uh, before he came to K-State so uh, there's a history of trying to find those guys. And if the next kind of, uh, you know, hidden gem pipeline is finding uh, historically rugby players who want to get into the game of football in the Simone community, then you know what? There, I think there's a lot worse darts you could be throwing. I agree 100%. I think it's a good move. All right. Uh, with late signing day being over, K-State, it looks like they're going to settle in at – being the 48th ranked team in the nation by rivals, seventh in the Big 12. Um, there was a time back uh, right as the season was starting, Grant and I came on this podcast, and we were declaring that the goal should, to be, should try to be in the top 35 and between four and six in the Big 12. Um, at the end of the day, by pure rankings perspective, because I think there's stuff to like about a lot of these uh, players, uh, how would you grade out Coach Kleiman's first cycle, and were you pleased where they ended in the ratings? Um, it is worth noting he did finish higher than three of the four new coaches, but Neil Brown in West Virginia actually finished third in the Big 12 after going so long without having any commitments. Uh, they got a couple four stars and some highly rated three stars late uh, mm -hmm. to round out their class. So um, ratings-wise and you know overall national perspective-wise, how do you feel with coming in at 48th in the nation and 7th in the Big 12? I, I think it's a good step. I mean, I, I, there was, you know, of course, a couple of kids they lost out on that, that I don't, I don't think we're able to qualify. And you know, we, you know, we still could look back and talk about losing out on some of the local kids. Um, but I think for the situation the staff was put in, and kind of having to prove it on the field. 
and, and, you know, the FCS label and some of that stuff that they had, I think, probably negatively recruited against them throughout this class, I think, ended up being solid. Um, I think there's some really nice players in the class that, w- that will be good uh, pieces for K-State in the future. And then you see them starting to build the next class already. So to me, you kind of have to put those two together, kind of like, kind of like the two basketball classes in a way, and, and look at the momentum is built off what they did this year, finishing and then going into next year's class, which is off to a fantastic start. So, I mean, that's that's how I kind of view it. Yeah, it is off to a fantastic start. Um, I mentioned it last week, and uh, I'd love to get your perspective on this as well. They did pick up a 5.63 star running back out of Iowa, Jaden Williams. And Iowa, I think due to having uh, one of these once-in-a-lifetime type classes similar to how the state of Kansas had it last year, a guy who – probably ordinarily would have been a top five player in the state of Iowa uh, is not currently in their top 10. Uh, He had not yet picked up an Iowa or Iowa state offer when typically you'd think a prospect of his pedigree would have. Um, Are you pleased with K-State kind of striking and pushing guys like him for a commitment more aggressively before camping season? Because it sounds like uh, that's what Iowa and Iowa state were hoping for to get him back on campus to camp and compete before possibly giving him an offer. Are you happy they're going after guys like that to get it before camping season? I I do, and and partially I like it simply because he seems willing to play multiple positions. He's not stuck on being a running back. And I think going out and finding athletes, um, at the three-star, decently high, I mean, he's 5.6, so he's a decent three-star athlete that could play defense or play offense um, in this system wherever they find the fit. That's to me what the big positive is for him is that they don't pigeon, he's not pigeonholing in recruiting at certain positions and they're just getting an athletic kid that wants to play football. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, I think K-State has done it in the past at times where we've been patient on a guy um, that was similar athletically and then someone else comes in and swoops them up because they're willing to offer them before we, we camp them. And so I think, you know, it, it's always a risk. There's no guarantee it'll work out. But but I, I liked it just based on watching this film and, and, you know, getting them in there and getting them committed. I think it was a good move. And, and you hit this point very well. K-State is calling him an athlete. I think in in his uh, stories, I shout out to our friends at K-State Online today. Um, as we're recording, and probably tomorrow as folks are listening, they're going to have a lot of content with him, uh, Jaden Williams. Uh, they're up visiting him in Des Moines right now. Uh, but you you said athlete, and I think that is a perfect uh, or in a very important distinction to make because when it comes to the recruitment of Dev Neal out of Lawrence, he is purely a run back and the only top four prospect in the state of Kansas not currently committed to K-State, and K-State is doing a full blitz Mm-hmm. on him um what if any impact do you think taking a guy uh Jaden Williams who most services see as a running back but K-State is uh making it a point to tell anyone who will listen no we're taking him as an athlete do you think they'll have any impact on uh Neil's recruitment and uh if so do you think that is worth it I I don't because I think there's they're not very similar I don't think they're similar athletes, even if they're both running backs. I mean, I think Williams looks like a little bit bigger guy, more in the 
the Gilbert mode, and then Neil is is more in the Brown mode, but even more athletic. I think he can be a slot, be a slash kind of guy, um, run a lot of jet sweeps, um, throw him the ball out in space, stuff that we probably didn't really see in this offense because we really didn't have that kind of athlete this past season. I mean, Brown was the closest we had, and even he was a little, you know, taller, lengthier athlete. So, I mean, you get a small guy like that that can make some plays in space. You you watch the North Dakota State film; they had guys like that, and so I think that's where that where they're seeing Neil more than, than even what we saw this past season. So, I think it's a good move because they don't have a guy like that really. Maybe um, maybe in the past class, Irvin would be more like that. I don't know for sure, but. Um, but I think getting a guy like that in each class for this system is important. And then the final thing, and this is a, a bit of an audible, but since I mentioned three of the top four guys committed in the state of Kansas, and you are a high school football coach in the state of Kansas, how important is it, even if it's just the optics of, yes, they grabbed some good Kansas kids. I think when it's all said and done, Nate Matlack out of Olathe is going to end up being a beast for this team. But how important is it, you know, in the second full cycle to really make a declaration to the kids of the state, to the high schools of the state saying, hey, we can and want to and will be a destination for the top end borderline blue chip guys in the state. And also telling the Iowa's, Nebraska's, uh, Iowa State's that, hey, no, we're not going to be a passive player in this process anymore. I, I think it's gigantic. I think it's very important to set the tone that K-State can be not only a really good Power 5 conference team to go to that's going to compete in the Big 12, but I think that, I, to me, it's, I get the sense that the reputation is becoming that this is a fun place to go play football, which I don't think it was for the past, no matter how good we were, I, I mean, I know for a fact some of the former players would tell you it wasn't a fun place to play football, so I think getting that mindset changed and that perception in the state from our players can, I think, help change the mindset where a lot of good Kansas kids just want to just wanted to leave the state. And I think, I mean, I think there's always going to be that sense where kids want to get out of Kansas. But I think part of it, the reason they want to leave the the state is because while K-State was a good program, I don't think they viewed it as a fun program to be a part of. Now, you got to be careful with that if you get too fun you lose discipline and you're probably not going to be very good. So you got to be careful, but it seems like this staff has the right balance on what they're trying to do with that. And I think that's where it's exciting to see kids want to come here. And and the other thing to go with what you said is, is a bunch of Kansas city area kids, which is obviously something Kleinman's talked about when he came here. Yep. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. They're in on a lot of the high profile guys on the Missouri side of the Metro as well. I'm, I'll uh, be tuned in, especially, you know, sadly, because K-State basketball, it's just not turning around. So I'm, I'm trying to fill fill my own content intake with as much recruiting news as I can get. But before we get out of here, uh, just a public service announcement to anyone with a special someone in their lives. Valentine's Day is on the 14th. I know I don't need to tell you that. I'm sure you uh, already have a, a very nice card for your beautiful wife. But I thought we would do something fun at the end of the show. If you were going to be giving a Valentine to anyone in the orbit of K-State Athletics, it could be uh, player, coach, administrators, 
uh, any of the above, who are one or two guys you would give or girls that you'd give a Valentine's Day card to, and what would you put in it? Ooh, well, I mean, honestly, I would send a card to X Cardi Mac because this is not the season any of those guys wanted. But I, I still have it. I'm still up. I still have a desire for those guys to know that they're appreciated and and uh, respected as K-State basketball players, and that um, even though fans get caught up in the blame game and rotating between a seem, seemingly one of those three, those guys have put in work and they care about K-State and they've worked harder than any of us fans have at trying to make this basketball program better. So I would send a card to all three of those guys and say, hey. We still love you as K-Staters. None, none of this is what any of us wanted, but uh, we still want you to know that we appreciate you. That's a very good one. Though All three of those guys were on my short list. Uh, Basketball-wise, uh, the, the names I had on there as well were all three of the freshmen telling them to keep at it, uh, to, you know, that I love the passion and energy they're bringing, and just tell them to keep their heads up because – Hey, even the even the best players in K State history, uh, you know, Jacob Poland went through it. You know, Dean Barry and Cam—they all had seasons where they didn't get to go to the NCAA tournament. And I would just tell them, "Hey, just because you have one bad year as a team doesn't mean you can't accomplish some really special teams things at K State." Um, the other one that I would make sure I would want to send is over to our guy, Taylor Bratt. We just spent I, I was, a I was just going to say that. That was going to be okay. my Well, if, if you want if you want to talk about Taylor, you, you go ahead because uh, uh, I've talked about him quite a bit on this podcast. I think everyone knows how I feel about Taylor. So I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you give some thoughts on uh, Taylor and what you'd say to him in a good card. Well, I just – I talked about the perception of this program being fun again for for our athletes coming in here and i think a big part of that is climbing allowing taylor to do what he does and to be out there as as a face of k-state football recruiting and uh just doing doing the things that that give a fun perception to what this program can be about yes you're gonna have to come in here and work hard if you want to be part of this program and win but part of that is having a good time and enjoying it and Taylor does that. I mean, just seeing him even a couple weeks ago at, at Tallgrass and, and him having fun and, you know, jumping on uh, KSO show for a little bit. And, you know, I even just yesterday ordered a pair of purple Nike Zoom Pegasuses in honor of, of Taylor because I needed some purple Nikes and he was my inspiration. Yeah, I think uh, Taylor has also probably done more for the purple shoe game than maybe anyone in the history Definitely. of, you know, the world. Nike should <laughs> probably just, you know, give him, you know, uh, you know, a couple shares of stock and uh, a couple extra pairs of purple Nikes because they should. They I, I know, should. I, I know, I, I don't even know the brand of them. Uh, ironically enough, Alan uh, was the one who sent me the link. There's these uh, purple uh, Nike running shoes that are super comfortable. Uh, he sent me a link to them. I was like, well, you know, I can't not get these. Uh, Taylor would be pissed at me. I already yeah. had a pair of uh, some, like, shark skin purple Air Force One low tops that I always send him a snap of. 
uh, when I'm wearing them. And sure enough, it, it doesn't matter. He's never failed once. Anytime I show him a picture of me wearing purple shoes, he instantly snaps back. And of course, he has purple shoes on as well. So uh, Taylor's a great guy, great ambassador for K-State football. Uh, I, I will throw out one more then, uh, since you were also sending one out to Taylor, and I'm a big proponent to sending uh, cards. You know, hey, folks, if you're listening to this on Monday, it's not too late. Go out, get a greeting card, send it to, some, send it to your parents, send it to your brothers, sisters. Uh, you know, send, send out greeting cards. They uh, cheer everyone's day up. Put a little personal message in there. But if I was going to add one more person to the list, I would say Gene Taylor. Again, okay. this, isn't, this isn't something that will surprise anyone who follows me on Twitter, on message boards, listen to the show. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, he's a guy who has a very important job but doesn't take himself so important uh, or seriously. He was on uh, the podcast with Tim Miles, and who's the other guy? Um, C.J. Moore. C.J. Moore with The Athletic, yeah, yes. He was very good. So, yeah, he went on there, and he was just having a good time. Uh, Gene Taylor, I, in my opinion, is a smart man who knows what he's doing, but he's also personable and he's, you can relate to him. If Very much you, so. If, if you don't like Gene Taylor, and, and again, I'm trying my best in 2020 not to say absolutist things or paint people into a corner, but I feel like if you don't like Gene Taylor, uh, you're doing it from a stance of having a predetermined uh, outlook on him and you are just decide you're not a Gene Taylor guy because – the major decisions he's made since he's been here have paid off. He's able to fundraise and he's starting to build massive projects. He's a guy who loves being at K-State and has its best interests in heart. And he's not a guy who constantly is looking uh, to go to the next best thing. Again, I think in hindsight, John Curry outside of uh, his enforcement of NCAA law, I think he was painted into a bit of more of a villain than he should have been. Yeah. But something you can't say about John Curry, uh, you, you can't say that he wanted to be at K-State. I think he always wanted to go to that next job. And, you know, yes. that's not what Gene Taylor wants to do. Gene Taylor wants to make K-State the best athletic department he can. He's not worried about building a resume. And I understand how some people will point to something I said on this podcast during the coaching search don't settle for someone who just wants to be at K-State and worry because they leave. I think when it comes to coaches, that is something valid. But when it comes to administrators, uh, I, I think that's a different story because he's a man who wants to leave a great legacy at K-State and doesn't care what happens next. And I think that the sooner folks uh, get on board with that and we all start moving in the right direction, the same direction, being led by Gene, I think we'd be in a good spot. So. Uh, I, I know uh, make some folks mad who think that uh, I, I'm too much of a fan of them, but I don't care. It's Valentine's Day, so those are the folks who are getting my Valentines. Jimmy, I would send one to you too as well. Uh, if folks aren't following you at KSU underscore fan on Twitter and on KSO, uh, you 100% enhance anybody's ability to watch football and basketball. What you bring to uh, the entertainment factor, those extra stats, extra things to look at inside games is second to none. And I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Always fun to be on with you and, or you and Grant. And, uh, I always enjoy basketball boys. Perfect. We enjoy, uh, boneheads. Uh, make sure you let your loved ones know, uh, how you feel on Friday, send them a card, give them a gift, give them a box of chocolates, whatever. I trust you all. But, uh, 
let's let's have a good week. Let's have a fun week, and who knows? Maybe we'll win a basketball game on Wednesday. Uh, but I'm not going to hold my breath, sadly. But uh, again, thank you everyone for listening. We're going to keep rocking with you. Eventually, Grant's going to be a little bit more consistent. He has a lot going on, so maybe send him a tweet of encouragement as well. Uh, we love you guys. Meet Grant at the Cat Head, and uh, let, let's dominate this week. Sounds great. Boom. All right. Podcast Network.